Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. It's your co-host, Andrew Miller. Going to be a semi-solo show today. Um, It's going to be just me for a good chunk of this episode to start off with, but then we will have one of our old friends join the podcast later to discuss everything going on uh, wrong with MSU baseball after they start SEC play 0-3 up in Lexington. Um, So we're going to have an old friend back on the podcast to break down everything that's going on with the baseball program because I know you're all dying to hear about that, but I'm going to make you wait because, frankly, I don't want to talk about them right now. And I would rather talk about sports that are more deserving of praise to start off this podcast. So let's dive right in. Uh, Women's basketball. Uh, Sad ending to what was a really good year, but nothing for Bulldog fans or that team to hang their heads about as uh, your MSU women's basketball team closes out their season in the round of 32 in South Bend. They fall to Notre Dame uh, by a final score of 53 to 48. We'll talk about that game in a minute, but before that, let's talk about the win that they did pick up in the round of 64. Literally an all-time upset in women's college basketball as Mississippi State defeats Creighton in the 6-11 game. And the reason I say that is because this was the first time ever that a team from the play-in in women's basketball advanced to the round of 32. Now, the play-in games are newer on the women's side. Those are something that have been introduced from the last few years. So technically it's not like we're, we're talking about, you know, decades worth of history here, but it's history nonetheless. And, you know, I remember we mentioned on the the recap show against Illinois um, that I, I really didn't know how it works out in women's basketball. If there's like a history of 11 seeds beating six seeds, the way that you see in the men's tournament, uh, at least not in the situation in which Mississippi state was, there was no history of that happening, but the Bulldogs go out Absolutely dominate the Creighton Blue Jays, 81-66. to This is a game MSU really controlled start to finish. And if you remember in the preview, the things that stood out, stood out with Creighton, it was defense and three-point shooting. This is a Creighton team that held teams, held their opponents to about 61 points per game. They held teams to about 40% shooting. Teams were held to 28% from deep against Creighton. Mississippi State scores 81 points in this game, so 20 points above the average allowed for Creighton. They shoot 49% from the field, so over 9% better than where Creighton typically allows teams. And then this is the kicker. MSU shoots almost 58% from behind the arc. They go 11 of 19 on three-point attempts against Creighton. Again, this is a Creighton team that is allowing on the season teams to shoot 28% from deep. MSU shot 58%, 30% increase from three in this game. And that kind of proved to be the difference. And the flip side of it for Creighton offensively, Creighton was a really good three-point shooting team. That was sort of where the strength their strength was offensively. MSU holds them to nine of 34 on three-pointers, uh, 26.5%. That was the difference in the game. That That is why MSU was able to be so dominant in this game. They just were automatic from deep. Uh, Ja'Kayla Jordan, incredible performance for her, 20 points. She goes four or five on her three-point attempts. Uh, You have Debrisha Poe. She goes three of six from deep for nine points. Um, And you ultimately had five total Bulldogs hit double figures, along with uh, Jordan. Jessica Jessica Carter gets 14. You get 12 from Anastasia Hayes, 10 from Alana Smith. 
Uh, Agent A. Johnson gives you 10 coming off the bench. Just a big-time offensive performance for MSU, and they held Creighton to only 66 total points in this game. Um, And again, it was the shooting. That was the difference in the game. MSU shoots 49% from the field, 58% from three. Creighton shoots 37% from the field, uh, 26.5% from three. Um, If you look at really any of the other big numbers, there's not much that stands out to you. MSU does get to the free throw line 20 times in this game compared to only eight for Creighton. Uh, And State does manage to get 17 points off of turnovers compared to 11 for Creighton, which is interesting. State turned the ball over more than Creighton did in this game, but MSU was able to turn those into points because they were shooting lights out. Creighton was not. But this is a monster upset. This is a Creighton team who was really good throughout the season. They had beaten some the Big East as a good women's basketball league. They had beaten good teams along the way. We talked about there were some common opponents that they had kind of handled business against that MSU had not been able to. But State goes out, and they didn't look like the 11 seed in this game. They didn't look like a team that had to play in a play-in game. They looked like one of the better basketball teams in the country and just went out and had an outstanding performance. Um, and again, we're able to set some history by being the first team in women's basketball history to participate in the play-in and then advance to the round of 32. Um, that in of itself, to go on and get two tournament wins when you consider winning the play-in game and then winning against Creighton was, was remarkable. And, of course, they advanced to the round of 32 against Notre Dame, where, as we did mention, they unfortunately do fall 53-48. Uh, to 48. I will say they did cover. I, I had to switch up my tweet a little bit because after the first couple games played in South Bend, I mentioned that, you know, c- can you really b- imagine thinking that Mississippi State women's basketball would not win in a place called Purcell Pavilion uh, when, when Sam Purcell, of course, is the head coach? There was literally zero chance of that happening. Apparently the, there was a chance that did come out when they, when they faced Notre Dame, but the spread was five and a half and MSU lost by five and they did cover. They were three and zero against the spread uh, in their three games played at Purcell Pavilion. So can you imagine thinking MSU bet women's basketball would not cover the spread in a place called Purcell Pavilion? You have to give them credit there. Uh, this was look, this was an ugly slugfest game. State was down 26, 23 at halftime at points in the second half. It looked like Notre Dame was going to put it away. They would go up by about 10 points and, State just couldn't buy a bucket. Really, neither team could buy a bucket. Uh, State was 3 of 20 from uh, from 3, 0 of 7 for Notre Dame. And I think I think it was pretty well into the second half before either team hit a three-point attempt. I, mean, I don't know. It might have been in the third quarter that that happened. Um, I actually could look at that literally right now. No, all of State's three-point attempts, they, they were 3 of 7 for – State goes 0 of 6, 0 of 2, and 0 of 5 through the first three quarters from three, and then they were 3 of 7 in the fourth quarter, including Debrisha Poe knocks down uh, – not Debrisha Poe, sorry. I was looking at Courtney Weber. Courtney Weber knocks down a couple huge ones, uh, including one that was able to tie the game. The reason I said Debrisha is because her name was right above Courtney, and I mixed up where it was at. It was Courtney Weber who knocked down the threes there. Uh, she goes on her way 14 points in this game, 5 of 10 shooting, 2 of 6 from deep. But unfortunately, that was about it for MSU offensively. Jessica Carter could not really get going. She only gets eight points and six rebounds of the day, seven from Alana Smith. Um, Ja'Kayla Jordan only with five. And obviously, she's been such a big part of what MSU's been able to do offensively in in recent weeks with her three-point shooting. And you just didn't have it in this game. Uh, State gets dominated on the boards. Uh, They 49-32 to in favor of Notre Dame rebounding. Um, Lauren Ebo 
18, 18 rebounds, 10 points for her for Notre Dame. That was kind of the big difference, um, which we can be very honest that a lot of those uh, rebounds, she was certainly taking advantage of some very favorable officiating um, where she was just kind of knocking some of our girls around and was able to get away with it uh, with, with, you know, no calls going against her. I don't mind complaining about that a little bit. Uh, but look, ultimately, if State just shoots a little bit better in this game, that's the difference. They had plenty of open looks that they didn't knock down. And look, Notre Dame didn't knock them down either, but that that could have been the difference in the game, could have been what could you know would have pushed State uh, to a win and potentially making a trip to the Sweet 16. So a disappointing way for it to end because obviously you know you were right there. You had every opportunity. Um, but still, I mean, we all know how good of a program Notre Dame is. You were playing at their place and – uh, the Notre Dame faithful packed it out and created a very difficult environment to play in. Um, I mean, you were on the road against a three seed. You know, there's only so much you can do. Um, but State, you have to be very pleased with what they were able to do this first season under Sam Purcell and the success that they had in, in the postseason. Um, I think getting to the tournament was the ultimate goal for this team. They were able to make that happen um, despite, you know, some up and down stretches throughout the season, including obviously the last game you play going into the tournament is that loss to Texas A&M. That's just kind of baffling. Like, how do you let that happen? Um, and he kind of felt like that's the worst way to be playing at this point of the season, but they uh, responded in the best possible way. Um, handling Illinois in the play in, which again, it was that big third quarter. That was the difference. Then you, you stun Creighton, just kind of dominate that game against a six seed. And then you give Notre Dame all they can handle. Um, incredible first year for Sam Purcell. It, it was a great year for basketball at Mississippi State. You have two first-year head coaches who came in and were able to rejuvenate both programs and just bring a lot of life into Humphrey Coliseum, which is something that's been lacking. You know, it's been lacking with the men's basketball side for a long time. Um, you know, whether I think it was fair or not, Ben Allen just never got the juices flowing with Bulldog fans. Even when his teams were, were in tournament contention or making the tournament, State fans just there was not the there was not the energy around the program that you wanted, and now you've got a coach in Chris Chance who's able to fix some of that. On the women's side, obviously, there's outside of baseball, there's never been anything Bulldog fans have supported harder than women's basketball, where that program was under Vic Schaefer. And then you lose Schaefer, things go south under McRae Pinson. At the same time that it's COVID and it just kind of falls apart, and fans just lose their interest in the program very quickly. It feels like now, though, you've got a coach in Sam Purcell who understands this fan base and is going to energize them, and he's going to bring the type of talent in that you know this program can get back to winning at the level that if he can continue to grow as a coach, because that's the big point people have made. He's never been a head coach before, and you saw him had to have to grow and learn and get better on the job throughout the season, but he did. I mean, he got this team to the – not only got him to the tournament, but he won multiple games in the postseason. Um. You have to give him a ton of credit for that. And it feels like that program, you're, you're about to have a lot of uh, support building up behind them once again. So obviously disappointing for whenever you, you see your season end in the in the tournament. Um, but getting back was such a big thing for both the men's and women's teams. And you got to be really happy about the state uh, of basketball at Mississippi State moving forward. Now, before we get back to talking about uh, the the – the topic that I think a lot of people are here for today, which is baseball. I do want to take some time to actually talk about something positive 
and another sport that involves playing on a diamond and hitting a ball with a stick. Uh, because MSU softball is coming off a – whereas MSU baseball got swept to start SEC play, softball got a sweep to start SEC play uh, as the Bulldogs take down South Carolina. Um, in all three games, they, they win a thriller uh, in, in the first game against South Carolina in 10 innings, 6-5. to five. Um, MSU gets a run on a, uh, a sacrifice fly in, in the – I don't know why I called it that, a sacrifice fly, a sack fly in the bottom of the seventh uh, to tie the game up for a piece, uh, go scoreless for a couple innings there. And then the 10th inning, uh, Carolina goes up 5-4. But then MSU is able to get some uh, get some girls on base and gets a single uh, to, to score a couple runs there and get a walk-off 6-5. to five. Then on uh, Saturday, just an absolutely dominant performance from Aspen Wesley. Uh, she pitches a complete game, giving up. Uh, striking out seven, only four hits, one walk, and one earned run in that game as State wins it uh, four to one. And then just kind of a blowout city on, on Sunday to complete uh, the sweep. MSU wins 9-1. This one's ends uh, in in the fifth inning on a walk-off grand slam uh, to run rule the Gamecocks 9-1 to again through five innings. Uh, just a really, really good opening weekend for, for MSU softball. And this is a team now that is up to 22 and eight on the season. Obviously that's a great start to SEC play. We, we, we were, we were talking them up a little bit going into the game against Oklahoma, even though I think Dan kind of laid, laid out pretty well on the podcast. I think we kind of knew how that was going to go. And they did lose both those games to Oklahoma seven, uh, nothing. And then nine to three, which look, it's, it's the Sooners. It's the best team. It's the best program. There's not much you're going to be able to do, but They've largely handled their business outside of that. And this is a team that they're, they're playing really good ball now to start conference play. They have a good chance going into a series in Athens against a ranked Georgia team um, to continue that momentum. And they're putting themselves on a path to once again be a team. I mean, look, they're going to make the tournament, but they could put themselves in contention if if they, things can get – they can continue this going into SEC play. Maybe we're talking about softball being able to host a regional. Obviously, last year they go on the road and get the uh, get the win in regional play at Florida State, um, which was you know setting a ton of history. Considering that, like to take out that Seminoles team, I can't remember exactly, but it was like the way the seating worked out. They had never had that in softball softball before, and then they get to play Arizona, host Arizona for a super regional for their first super regional in school history. Um, Obviously, you know the games didn't go the way you wanted, but such a you know record-breaking season for the team a year ago had to take some lumps uh, throughout the year a little bit this season. But I think they've bounced back a lot better than uh, I know. Like you know, Dan is our resident softball guy on this podcast. He was not expecting this team to be to where they're at at this point of the season. They're playing good softball, and Coach Ricketts has a really good program that is being built up. And this is a team that has a chance to be really strong this season. Um, so I, you know, obviously we'll continue to see how it goes around SEC play, but like, look, if you were in Starkville, we, we, we talked about this for the Oklahoma game, because obviously that's an opportunity to go see a, a big time program in the Sooners playing in Starkville. But at now, I mean, it needs to turn, like you need to go support this team. If you can, if you can get to these games and go watch MSU softball, absolutely worth it. Again, the games are free to go to, they're free, they're fast paced, they're fun to watch. If you can get to a game like I don't know, we don't know what MSU baseball is going to be uh, become this year. Um, 
Obviously, we we hope it's not what it was a year ago. And I know with, with baseball, there's the appeal of the lounge and just the, the the hanging out part of it, where people are going to show up regardless, especially because of how much you know people are just diehards for baseball here. But a good point that my friend Ethan Lee has been making, and he's another guy who will you know he will he will go to war for the softball team and has been for for several years now. Like, obviously, we can all just sit around and be miserable because baseball is not winning the way we want them to, or. We can go and be excited for softball, which I don't think those things have to be mutually exclusive. I'm very, you know, I, I'll be firm that we don't have to say, well, we're good in this one sport, so we can be okay with sucking in another sport. You're never going to hear me say that as someone who has constantly said that we shouldn't be able to just, uh, shouldn't ignore basketball just because baseball is doing what we want. It, it should be the same way here. It, just because, you know, if softball is good and we're going to get behind that team, that doesn't mean we have to just be, you know, turn the other eye to baseball. But I think you go, you get the point that I'm making here that there is a sport going on in the spring that is worth, it's a good team that's worth going to watch and is an economical, you know, smart decision for, for you know, families because, again, it's free to go to games. Go support MSU softball. Like that, that's a, that's a program that like deserves to have some packed out, uh, some packed out uh, crowds. So good start to them. They get to the sweep over South Carolina. Hopefully they can keep up the m- momentum uh, against Georgia. And, we, and look, we know the SEC and softball is murderers row. You have Georgia followed by Arkansas. I know A&M is a ranked team. Alabama is always good. You have LSU later in the season. I think Kentucky and Auburn are both good. So like, I mean, it's the SEC. Everybody's good, but um, good start for them. And hopefully they can keep this up. And, uh, who knows? Maybe even we're talking about a situation where if things break right, you can get softball hosting a regional. Like, you, you know, we always ask Kendall Rogers, is MSU going to host? Maybe we're going to host in softball. I, I, I'd i be down for that for a little change this year. Um, but, yeah, good good to see them get off uh, to SEC play about, a, you know, literally perfect. All right. Now we're going to talk about it. MSU baseball goes up to Lexington. Does not go well. Let's see what we have to say about the dogs versus the cats and uh, where this program goes from here. Now back on the podcast for the first time in a while, it's our old friend Lounge Dog. I do want to make clear, Lounge was never vanquished from the podcast. He has been more than welcome to join the pod. I, I send out the invite and he does not respond to it, um, even though he does have his other podcast. I, Colton is the one who was annoyed with that. I think listen, I, I don't care listen, about it. Listen, I'm a visit. I'm about, say, I'm a busy man. I'm about to say it's like it's conflicting times because both podcasts tried to record around the same time. I'm like, ish. Like just cutting close, but I'm about to say so, but I made sure I was gonna get on tonight. Yeah, I, I figured we needed to make sure you, you were here for this one. Um but yeah, it has been a while outside of baseball lounge. How you doing? Man, outside of outside of baseball, I'm gonna say pretty dang good. Just living life, uh, just work. I'm gonna say just enjoying living starful again. I guess. I mean, every, that's about it. I, I look. I hear you. I believe me. I wish I was in Starkville, um, but obviously we do have to talk about the negative. So MSU baseball. Um, it did look like for a bit that they were starting to figure some things out. You still saw some of the issues that have plagued them this season, and the, even in the wins in the non-conference, but they were on a winning streak. What was it, like seven wins in a row? Um, they had themselves in a spot where you felt like, all right, you're going up to Lexington. 
Kentucky has been playing well this season, but it's still a team you feel MSU should be able to go and handle their business against. And look, ultimately, I know someone put the stat out there. MSU has not won a series in Lexington since I think Cohen's first season there. So like 2004. Um, but obviously there's a bit of a difference between just losing, like losing a series on the road, because look, if, if, as long as you don't get swept on the road, that's not a big deal. MSU got swept. Um, and we're not going to go into each of the games individually, really breaking them down much, both on Friday and on Sunday, you put yourself in a four, nothing hole, uh, in, in the first inning, just with the type of mistakes that have plugged MSU all year, hit by pitch walks, uh, Friday night, you took a lead, uh, five to four before you allow Kentucky or was it five? Five four or four four three. Friday, yes. Or, uh, Friday it got Friday it was four nothing. Then we cut it to four three, and then we took the lead five four. Okay, yes, that's right. MSU took takes the lead five four. Kentucky get uh, is able to tie it back up in the bottom bottom of the eighth. Game ends up going to extra innings, and then in the tenth inning, uh, because of a couple wild pitches, Kentucky is able to get a walk off win there. Uh, and just obviously that's a very, very annoying way to lose a game. You feel like you just let that one completely slip away. Despite the early struggles, that's one you should have been able to get. Uh, Saturday State actually starts off the game fairly well uh, through the first three and a half innings. They're, they were up 3 nothing in that game. But then things just completely fall apart, and you, MSU nearly gets rumbled. They end up losing 12-3 to final in that one. Uh, offensively, you just don't do anything, and pitching Gartman was – fine for a bit but then it when it fell apart it fell apart a lot and then on Sunday sort of like I already mentioned you put yourself in a four nothing hole this game MSU fights back for a second it makes it I think four to three but then you just get absolutely blasted the rest of the way and end up losing this game 17 to three get absolutely embarrassed that's a rough rough way to start off SEC play and look obviously there's a lot of time uh, a lot that can change but a few things on that one, a point that we've hit on this podcast a lot is state does have time to figure things out, but once you hit conference play, you got to start getting that stuff figured out. Two, while yes, Kentucky has been playing, look, I mean, they had what, what, what were they like 15 and two going into the weekend? Like they're off to a really good start on the season. Um, maybe they're, even though they really hadn't played anybody, maybe they still haven't played anybody. Um, they, they're, they're winning games. You have to give them credit for that. And you're going on the road. Losing in the fashion that you lost in, though, is one of the more concerning things because it's been the same issues you've kind of seen all year. And then there's the, the, the last part to it where, yes, this is one series, but MSU is one of the toughest SEC schedules in the SEC this year when you talk about the opponents that you have coming the rest of the way. I mean, you're turning around and you're facing a Vanderbilt team that just swept Ole Miss uh, this next weekend. So not at all the start that you want if you're a Bulldog fan. Not the type of start that's going to inspire much confidence as you get into SEC play. Again, it felt for a second like this team was turning things around, but now it's on rocky ground. So we're going to turn it over to you, Lounge. I mean, takeaways and just where does MSU kind of go from here? Well, first off, when we sometimes say we need we need to do some soul searching, I'm not just talking about the players. I'm talking about the coaching staff as well. Like it's like something is not connecting with these guys because these guys were talented arms. Otherwise, they wouldn't have recruited them to come to Starville. Because unfortunately, this weekend you're 
your 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 pitchers, your starters were putting you in a bind from the get go. So that changes you at a hitter's approach. Like they're more aggressive at the plate. And you were kind of seeing a lot of swings and misses. I mean, the Monty Laird was 0 for 9 the first two games. And Cope Mudd, but I mean, outside, I mean, to be honest, outside of Kelvin Clark and Hunter Hines this weekend, no one really did anything. And you, your pitching can't like spot like down you three or four runs and then they settle in. You've got to be ready to go from the beginning. Just, I don't know if it's it's just they're it's just they're not ready. They're just not loose. Like they didn't get in the bullpen before the game. What it is, but I mean, I was watching Gerangelo first three innings. I was like, if he just stick to his right arm, he's dominant with that right arm, and he wasn't missing his spots. Like it took like four or five innings for Spocksaw to figure it out. Like, hey, give me your right arm. It's just, you're going to take some lumps for the freshmen because that's what freshmen do. But you can't have yet, uh, Graham Yitma literally not record out and load the bases in the first inning. You absolutely cannot have that. So I kind of expect TBA to be back up in the weekend rotation. And I think. Gartman didn't have a great day either. Uh, I mean, he battled and kind of settled in, but it was just – it wasn't pretty. I mean, looking at who pitched well this weekend, to be honest with you, it was Sierra, Casey Hunt. Uh, Dunn pitched pretty well. I saw, oh, those pass balls, to be honest with you, weren't on him. Uh so you you saw some bright spots in the bullpen, but your starting rotation's got to be better. So, I mean, you but you've seen them pitch at a high level, albeit it's Lipscomb and all that. I get it. It's just it's one of those things like. The momentum and the 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 morale of the team falls if a book like a pitching staff gives up like in the first inning like four runs. I mean that's that's pretty deflating in my eyes because you're you're chasing the rest of the game, and it's just or it's going to be like a bad error by Offer, a, a miscommunication by Hunter and the pitcher, or Hunter and Larry. It's just one thing that they. When they have something good going, they'll do something to stop it in its tracks. So it it's like can't build one once anything positive. We're just gonna shoot ourselves in the foot. It's just it's just I had to say this is dumb baseball. Which that's the thing. It's correctable, and but. I said I've told people this. I said you have a right to be concerned, but I wouldn't. I mean, until I hear know anything about early April, early to mid-April, that I mean, I I'll give them a little bit of time to try to still figure it out. I don't know what it is, but I feel like they're gonna get back to the basic fundamentals this week because it, it was just so. It, I don't know. It was just, just 
mind-boggling. Yeah. Um, no, I think you hit on a lot of good things there. Going back to what you're talking about with the, the pitching rotation, Durangelo, it's one inning. It's a freshman in his first SEC start. He did kind of settle in after that. I think you can understand, like, hey, that's a guy like – Frankly, the fact that that guy's having to be your Friday night starter tells you a lot about the state of his pitching staff right now. Even though there's the high upside and the talent, you don't want a true freshman to have to be in that spot. Um, but I think that's someone you can trust. He can he can grow from that bounce back. Gartman is one of those things where he's been – I mean, he's been pretty consistent throughout the year that he's not great. But obviously this weekend it really kind of fell apart in, in the at the worst time. Itama at this point, I mean, that's – it's been a couple rough outings for him now, and I don't know if that's a guy that you trust to get it. I think the question on everyone's mind at this point, I mean, I know you got to have guys in the bullpen you trust, which, as you mentioned, you did have a few guys with Casey Hunt and uh, Siri who did look solid out of the bullpen despite a lot of the struggles. At what point, though, do you finally just bite the bullet and say Nate Dom needs to be a part of that weekend rotation? I mean, it's worth something to look at because, I mean – but then, again, we got to just know, does he – I mean, you kind of saw with KC, do you risk it? Like, KC was better out of the bullpen than he is a starter. I mean, it's just how they feel comfortable. It just – so, I mean, I'm willing to take a shot at it. But it's just we can't – you got to have better starting, pitch, starting pitching. For sure. And I, I totally – I totally agree with that point yes some guys just are not built to be starters they can be dominant out of the pin but if you put them in that starting role it's not going to work out well for them I still think it's you got to try it at this point considering as bad as things have gotten you I mean if it's one more loss at this point all right well it kind of is what it is I mean I know the season's not lost but you I feel you're you're searching for answers I think you gotta you gotta try something obviously I'm not going to freak out too much over the bats after this weekend. As you mentioned, when you have two games where you're down a 4 nothing hole, that changes your approach at the plate. That changes how uh, you're, you're going to uh, handle things offensively. Um, look, now, look, State's offense handle, I think, has been perfect every single week. For I think that was the one thing for a bit you felt like, all right, we well, can always trust this team to go out and score runs. Not all. I think they're kind of showing that you're gonna there's gonna be a time a weekend at least where that's not gonna happen. You're gonna have to lean on the pitching more. Still, even though it wasn't a great showing for them this weekend, I do think that's something you can expect them to be better down the line. Oh, for sure. I mean, usually, I mean, can't make it. Can't make the cold excuse when Kentucky puts up 17 on Sunday, and it's just. I've told people, I said, I don't expect this offense to score 10 runs every game or something. Like, <laughs> you're going against quality pitching. And sometimes they get the win. Like, you tip your cap. So, I'm more people are freaked out about the left on base. Left on base. I said, that's going to happen from time to time. And which really, it's happened very few times where we left double digit runners on base. But, when you're walking, guys, we at the end of the series we had 131 walks on the year. That that's the worst in the SEC I know, and it's I it last like going into the series we were ranked like two oh nine, so I'm sure we dropped again. It's just 
your pitching has to be better. Your fielding has to be better. Your offer, offer. I don't know what he was doing on a throw. It wasn't even close. It that was that was awful. Like you got to be better than that. And I'm not at the realm of the, just putting Mersh on a third because he's got a better glove. Because Olford's bat hadn't really shined either. So it's worth the shot to put the freshman in there and see what there goes. But, man, I'm not going to complain. I mean, out, I mean, defense and outfield has been pretty, pretty spectacular this year. It's just the infield, like, Outside Lane Forsyth's cleaned it up. Larry's been pretty solid. It's the corners. Particularly if you got Hunter Hines in there. Like, come on, like, that's where your issues are. And behind the plate, blocking balls, Ross Ross has got to be better. He's he's gotta be able to block those fastballs in the dirt. I'll bet the one of them was a spike like right in front of the plate. So it was it, on that turf, it shoots it up. That one, yeah. But we got to be better, like, blocking, blocking the ball in the dirt. Because how they scored that win run Friday was unacceptable. That That's just you, – you just got to get them to hit the ground. I, I do think that's – that's far and away the thing that's the most frustrating for fans is that MSU, the way that they are losing, it's so many self-inflicted errors, which – Obviously, on the one hand, you can clean that stuff up. On the other hand, at a certain point, does that become your identity? Because it's been a problem for this team throughout the season. Um, I mean, you got Vanderbilt. Obviously, we'll, we'll talk about the, this, uh, the series later on in the week when uh, I guess either Daniel or Colton is on. We don't have it really planned out. But, I mean, going into a Vanderbilt series, how, how do you bounce back? And how, I mean – how good? Of, how much of a chance do you give State of being able to get the, to get the win there? Are you looking for find a way to get the series win, or is it more we just need at this point see some improvement? Obviously, yes, everybody wants the win, but you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. Uh, if you if you play competent baseball and you lose, I can live with it. It's just the dumb mistakes that you can't keep doing. Like, I, I mean, I, I agree. At some point, it comes back to coaching. Like, how much emphasis are you putting in on defense? Why are you keeping a guy that's fielding and hitting doesn't reach a thousand combined? And that that's offered, by the way. So, you just, I mean, some of it is coaching, some of it, some players. I mean, it's a little bit of both. But my main issue, where's the leadership? Luke Hancock was supposed to be that guy, supposed to be the captain. But he's not a rowdy. He's not a tanner. He's not a Jake Mangum. Not vocal. You gotta have vocal dudes. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's a freshman. If he's out there doing his thing, backing it up on the field and being vocal, absolutely. But we, you gotta have a guy that holds everybody else accountable. Yeah, right now you're just not seeing it. 
mean, about the most energy I saw out of that team this weekend was Parker Stinnett getting ejected for coming out of the dugout ready to fight. I mean, she's guys. I mean, come on. You play for Mississippi State, but play for Mississippi State. It's one of the best programs in the country. Have some, have some pride, man, guys. I mean, it's just it's it's a privilege. You get to play baseball and get to play at one of the best facilities in the country. Learn, I don't. Just we if we have to have another players meeting, we have to have a motivational speech. I mean, I'll give it if I have to, because dang it. Listen, I'm I'm not going through another nine and twenty one season. That that was brutal, but I I hung in there. It's just you you gotta be better now. I know you're probably gonna get to the point of talking about hot seats and all that. Uh, either way, I still think Lamonis gets another year, but you That's might actually- have to do some changes. That's what I was going to ask you about to close out here, Um, which, look, hey, I'm all for if Lounge wants to get in there and and chew these guys a new one to get them fired up. Let's do it if that will turn the season around. Um, Obviously, you've made your your thoughts on Lamonis pretty well known. And, look, I by and large agree. I don't think – I understand, like, the whole, uh, you know, it's this is another Ed or Drone situation, that whole argument. I mean, there's a lot of players on that national championship team that were Lamonis guys. And, obviously, he made plenty of coaching decisions that – led to State being able to, not even just the national championship season, but when he stepped in in 2019, the success they were able to have to have, that doesn't all just go away. It's not solely, oh, it was just Canizaro's players. Like, no, Lamonis had a big part in State being successful. Lamonis is also recruiting at a very high level. Uh, there's a lot of reason to believe he's a good coach and that things are just not going well. So I will agree with you that at this point, you can't you know say, okay, we'll fire Lamonis. Like, this is a big problem. Obviously, if things continue down this line, maybe it becomes a different conversation. I tend to agree that he'll probably get another year, um, even if it's a rough season, but we'll see. Outside of him, though, I mean, are you – where are we at with Foxhall? Because I will say – I'm not going to get into this in the show. I heard a little tidbit about something behind the scenes that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. And I think, obviously, people can see it with their own eyes what's happening out there on the field. Is it time to make – I know you're not going to make a change midseason with baseball, but do you think that's a change that's coming? Uh, I do. I mean, you can see even some of the older guys haven't really progressed since Foxhall's been here. And, I mean, you kind of look at Foxhall's history, like the the two the two pitchers that are were thriving in the major leagues is, are – going to anyway, Will Bednar and Carlos Rodon at NC State. Those were two best pitchers. And then Landon Sims, of course. But outside of that, I'm not trying to think <laughs> who really is an all-star, like made it up high in the minor leagues to the major leagues that pitched under Foxhall. I can't think of any. So there might be a development developmental issue there somewhere. I don't know. I wish I, I wish I was in the building, but yeah, 
you just have to. Yeah, it's about time for that. So, you're not going to. I'm going to say, you're going to fire. People are saying, oh, we need a guy with uh, uh, Omaha experience and knows how to win. I'm like, that's what you're doing by fight. You're firing a coach that has that criteria. Like, think about it. Like, is some of the people just need to just stop. I mean, that's why I tell you, too many football fans watch this dang sport. And they get too dang too damn emotional. And it and it it irritates me to the core. I'm basically regurgitating everything I had to say to them. I'm like, listen. I mean, even man, it's just it's just frustrating. I, everybody's frustrated, I understand. I mean, but I like like me, you gotta be a little patient. You gotta give me early to mid April and I'll know you, that's when you know what you are. Even the experts have said it's about April, you know what you are. So. All right. Yeah. Give it a couple more weeks, folks. And I mean, look, I, I, I do agree, especially with spe- specifically with Lamonis. I'm not ready to jump the gun on that yet. And of course, we, we do know with baseball, you can, if a team gets hot at the right time, it's different now. Foxhall, I think that. I think it, it, we kind of know what direction that's headed, but uh, we'll we'll see. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for today's episode. Obviously, we're really thankful to have Lounge hop on and talk a little baseball with us because, uh, unfortunately, like right now, we we don't want to have to talk about it in the, in the way that we are, but we, we had to for this episode. So uh, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Lounge, for hopping on. And as always, swing your sword and hail state.